What a great Sunday it is. There's exciting things that are happening at daybreak, and I hope that you can sense those too. Uh, if you went into the kitchen, you'd see a very different kitchen. <laughs> it's being worked on. Uh, and, and it's exciting for that. In the next little bit, for the next weeks coming up after Easter, we're actually going to change our, our Tuesday prayer time and we're going to call you to actually come to it and start to pray for what God's doing in our church. A group meets here every Tuesday. They are faithful uh, on that. We want to invite most of our congregation as we aim toward a congregational meeting that, that's coming up. Uh, I'm going to be here. I'll be leading you through some some prayer initiatives, some different ways that we can ask God to to certainly speak to us about what God's calling us to. Uh, and so you'll get more information coming out after Easter. Next week is Easter Sunday. What I would do is two things. The first one, if God reveals somebody in your mind to invite them to come next week, invite them. The second thing is, when you're here in our building, I want you to have eyes to see the ones that don't look familiar. <laughs> And, and make them feel incredibly welcome. One of the gifts that we have as the community of God is actually to make people feel like they belong. See, the interesting piece with miracles for Jesus was Jesus didn't perform miracles to announce who he was. He performed miracles to cause people who were on the outside to become on the inside again. And so when Jesus healed somebody, he always would say this, don't tell anyone. I would be like, tell everyone, this is going to be great advertising for me. But Jesus was like, don't tell anyone, because what he wanted that individual to do was to go from the outside, the not belonging, to fit on the inside, to belong. And sometimes in our minds, we can't really fathom Jesus as a Savior, Maybe this week, as we walk into Easter, we need to fathom Jesus as a healer. We all need to be healed from something. And, and so when you see Jesus on the cross, as we walk through this Holy Week, as Jesus has risen from the dead, we get to celebrate next Sunday. My prayer for you is that you would see Jesus as, as the healer. The one that restores everything back to the way that it was supposed to be. Even though we still live in a broken world, even though this world doesn't function the way that God wants it to, we have the hope of Jesus, the one who allows us to have that relationship with the Father. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 12. We've walked through this like six perspectives of Easter. John chapter 12. If you don't have it, it'll be on the screen behind me. John chapter 12 verse 1. Just find yourself in the story. Always remember anytime we open up God's Word, it reveals something about us and it reveals something about God. And so you're going to see both of those dynamics play out in this little passage. John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, who Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. 
Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Verse 3, then Mary took a, a, a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why? Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief as keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put in it. Verse 7, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have poor among you, but you will not always have me. Verse 9, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus too. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Man, an interesting passage. As we look at this Palm Sunday, as we celebrate Jesus coming in, declaring who he was. You know, Jesus was in Bethany. It was a small village about two miles east of Jerusalem. He was there with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, his disciples. And according to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, that they were meeting in the home of a man named Simon the leper. It's probably because Lazarus' home was too small. And this crowd of people had gathered this night to have a dinner in honor of Jesus, to celebrate who Jesus was. This was the night before Jesus' triumphal entry. It was the night before Palm Sunday. The night before Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey to praises and shouts of the multitude. We know this. Hosanna. Hosanna, which means the God who can save us now. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. The days before this dinner had been filled full of turmoil. There was energy, there was excitement that was bringing Jesus' ministry to this dramatic climax. Only a few days later, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. You remember that story. He called him forth from the tomb after four days of being dead. The news of this miracle had spread and many people were looking to Jesus as the Messiah. A change. They started to see Jesus as the King. They were starting to understand that He might be the Savior that they were looking for. The Jewish leaders had quite a different reaction to that miracle. They were getting frustrated at the growing popularity of Jesus. We read in John chapter 11, the the chapter before John 12, verse 46, that they called this emergency meeting of the Jewish ruling body. 
You're going to see this on your screen in verse 47 and 48 of that John chapter 11. They're looking at each other and they say this, What are we accomplishing? Here is the man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and they'll take away our temple and our nation. They'll take away what is really important to us, our buildings. And the high priest and his people decided that it was in their best interest to kill the man Jesus. Rather than let him ruin or change everything that they had worked for or that they had cherished. In that same chapter, John chapter 11, verse 53, it says this, So from that day forward, they plotted to take his life. So three years of preaching, teaching, rebuking, healing, and caring Jesus' ministry suddenly reaches this boiling point. There was a group of people that wanted to, to follow him. They loved him. And there were other people who hated him and wanted to see him dead. Regardless of what side of the fence you were on at that time, it, you knew something was going to happen. And so Jesus is here spending time with and having a meal with some of his closest and dearest friends. Maybe today you just have to use your imagination a little bit. Can you see them reclining at the table? There's actually three tables that scholars tell us. They're arranged like a horseshoe, not like kind of how we have our dining room table set up. Martha, sorry, Martha, who was serving, would, would stay in the middle area of the tables. And while they're reclining at the table, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, suddenly broke open an alabaster jar. It was an alabaster jar of really expensive perfume. And Mary takes the perfume. She walks over to Jesus. And not only does she walk over to Jesus, as the jar is broke, the room is filled with the aroma She anoints Jesus' feet, drying his feet with the only towel she had brought, her hair. Now, Judas, we don't like to reference ourselves at times like Judas, but many times I find myself looking like Judas. See, Judas knew the price of everything, but he knew the value of nothing. Seeing what Mary had done and, and smelling that expensive perfume that would be filling the room. It says this in verse 5 of the, the passage of Scripture that we read. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Well, guess who else joined in in that discussion? The disciples. The disciples joined in an agreement according to the other gospel accounts. Not only was it a decision-making time for the Jewish leaders who were plotting to kill Jesus, but it also was a decision-making time for the people in that room. The reactions, the actions taken that night as they reclined at the table will reveal just what they really thought of Jesus and what Jesus was really worth to those individuals.
Today, as, as we look at the decision time, Judas, the disciples, and Mary will come face to face that we need to make that same decision today. Just who is Jesus to us, really? How much is he actually really worth to us? Regardless of, of what we say, it's our response to him and our actions to him that reveal the true answer. So let's look at three different responses today, really simply. The very first one, the wrong response. Perhaps Judas didn't even see Mary enter the room and kneel at the feet of the Lord. But as soon as Mary had broken open that alabaster jar, as soon as, soon as the room had filled with the aroma, the strong aroma of that perfume, Judas quickly turned his head. And when he did, he couldn't believe what he was seeing with his eyes. Mary was pouring this expensive perfume, a year's wages, onto the feet of Jesus. Judas's mind began to roll as he thought of all the things that he could have bought if he had been able to sell that perfume. And he became angry. And he shouted, why this waste? Mary, why are you wasting this perfume? And Jesus, why are you letting her do this? Jesus, we could have sold it and given money to the poor. Why did Judas respond this way? Why did he think that what Mary did was a waste? Well, first of all, let's note what, that Judas was not really concerned about the poor. John was the last to write his gospel, and by the time he wrote, everyone knew just what kind of man Judas was. So John, the author John, informs the readers that Judas, who was their treasurer, he held on to the money bag, was not really worried about the poor at all. He was rather hoping that he could take the money for himself because he was a thief. Somewhere, and here's the key thing, somewhere during the years that Judas spent with Jesus, and we can't pinpoint the exact time, and perhaps it was a gradual thing, but one thing that we do know that happened, and the plain and ugly truth is that Judas gave up on Jesus. I think Judas actually rejected Jesus for the same reason the Jewish leaders rejected Jesus. Jesus was not the Messiah that they wanted. Therefore, how could he possibly be a Messiah in their eyes? Judas was looking just like they were looking for this earthly kingdom. And Judas was hungry for power that he would one day have as the treasurer of the new Jewish world empire. But as time moved on, And as Judas spent more time with Jesus, it became clear to Judas that his dreams would never come true. Jesus would never overthrow the Roman Empire. And Judas would never have the wealth and the power he craved. And he sat at that meal that night, and he had already been making a deal with the Jewish leaders for the betrayal of Jesus. So when Judas saw all this money being thrown away, he was furious. Why waste so much on Jesus, on just a man? And if Judas was right, that Jesus was not the Son of God, then Mary, then what Mary did was a waste. 
Judas's response was complete rejection. To him, what Mary did was a waste because Jesus was not worth it in the eyes of Judas. All right, that's that first reaction. Here's the second response, a lukewarm response. Both Mary and Luke tell us that disciples also became angry and said, why this waste? You see, Judas led and the disciples followed. They were on and off again. Their devotion to Jesus was like sitting in a roller coaster going on a roller coaster ride. At least with Judas, you know where he stands. The disciples, as we have seen, leave us constantly wondering, where are they? What are they really thinking? They said the same thing as Judas. Why this waste? But they said it for different reasons. Judas said it because he had rejected Jesus. And Judas just wanted the money that he could get before this sinking ship finally went under. The disciples, on the other hand, said it was a waste because they thought they were being practical and they believed they had very good reason to act like they did. Their dedication to Jesus, their devotion was lukewarm at best. Well, maybe you've said this. Let's honor Jesus together, but let's not get silly about it. Let's not go overboard. Let's anoint Jesus, with, not with the expensive stuff, just in case we need it later on. Let's serve Jesus, but let's not get crazy about it, just in case it doesn't work. See, the church has far too many who are like the disciples, who respond to Jesus with lukewarm devotion. When they see true, and when they see true devotion, they don't really understand. They shout, why the waste? You mean you, you gave up a job promotion that would have doubled your salary because it would take you away from the church too much? Why? That's a waste. Look at all the extra money you could have made to help people. You, you bought a TV or a couch and you gave it to the church. Let the church have the old one. Your old one is way better than nothing. I don't know how many times this scene is played out in the homes of Christian parents. Johnny, I know you love the Lord I want and I want to serve Him, but we think going to Bible college is a little extreme. You have a great mind. You have such great potential. Don't waste it in a little Bible college. Your mom and I have been saving for years to send you to Harvard. We want you to become something important with your life. Be a lawyer, doctor, engineer. We want you to have success. Let someone else's child be a preacher. We want better for you. Jesus in Revelation 3, verse 15 and 16 is talking about a group of people who were just like that. They lived in a place called uh, Laodicea. Here's what Jesus said to them. I know your deeds. I know your thoughts. That you were neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What Judas did, though wrong, still made sense. But what the disciples did by responding with lukewarm devotion doesn't make any sense at all. It makes sense to be for Jesus 
and it makes sense in a way to be against Jesus, but it makes no sense to ride the fence. Are we like the disciples? Here's the third response, and the third response is simply the right response. Jesus had been trying for three years to teach his disciples about how his death was connected with the kingdom, but they didn't understand it. They couldn't make sense of it. It didn't fit into their concept of what a kingdom was supposed to be like. Now, women, please stay humble as I say these next few lines. Many times women see things before men do. Women, I'm not hearing amen. Women are generally, women are generally more perceptive than men are. For example, women can see problems in their marriage long before the husband knows there is anything wrong. And not only do women see the problems and tell you what is wrong, but they can usually tell you what needs to be done to fix it. See, Mary was at dinner that night. And Mary could see something that Judas and the disciples could not see. Mary could see the connection between the kingdom and Jesus' death. And Mary did with that alabaster jar of perfume was the perfect thing. As we look back on this event with the cross behind us, we can also see that it was the perfect timing and the perfect thing to do. See, Mary knew it early. That's why the men in that room criticized her. Jesus said the following as recorded in Matthew 26, verse 10. Aware of this, Jesus said to the men, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, friends, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. See, Mary knew that Jesus was the Son of God. She knew what she was doing. She knew that death had awaited her when he rode into Jerusalem the next morning. And she knew that Jesus was dying for her. And Mary wanted to do something for Jesus. She wanted to do something that would express to him her great love. She wanted to do something for Jesus while she still had the opportunity. And so Mary took the most expensive thing she had, that alabaster jar of expensive perfume, a year's wages. Think about how much you make in a year. And she knelt down at the feet of her Lord, breaking open the jar, anointing his feet. Then Mary took her hair, which Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 15, is a woman's crown and glory. Do you see the connection? She dried the feet of Jesus with her hair. You see, for Mary, no sacrifice was too costly. For Mary, who wiped her Jesus' hair with her feet, no service was too demeaning. Why would Mary do this? 
Isn't it a little extreme to pour a whole jar of expensive perfume on someone's dirty feet? Isn't it degrading and demeaning to wash someone's feet with your hair? But if Mary was right, if Mary was right that Jesus is the Son of God and that He loved us enough to put on human flesh to die for our sins, if Mary was right, then even if somehow she was able to gather up all of her wealth and all of the riches in the world and put it in that jar and pour it on the feet of Jesus, it wouldn't be a waste. Friends, we can't give too much to Jesus. Jesus is worth all we have and all we are. Friends, I need this passage today. I need to be reminded of the truth of this passage. I need to hold on to it close. I need to have it ingrained on my mind and burned on my heart. Jesus is worth it. He is worth all that I have and all that I am. And during those times where the Christian walk gets tough, when you feel like you're spinning your wheels, when people let you down and disappoint you, when your effort seems to go without results, when you try and try and seem to be getting nowhere, when you feel like throwing in the towel, when you feel like dropping out of the race, when you feel like you can't give anymore, when you feel used and abused, unappreciated, just remember, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth your time. Jesus is worth your effort. Jesus is worth all the pain and frustration. But you can be like Judas. Or even the disciples. And think it's a waste to give so much time to the church. To go to a small church with so many problems. To pour out your heart to just a few kids. To use your vacation time to go on a missions trip to help fix an aging building. You can never, ever give enough of your time. You can never give enough of your talents. You can never give enough of your treasure to Jesus. Jesus is worth it. Just like being in the house of Simon the leper that night, there are really... Only three types of people in this room this morning. You can reject Jesus completely like Judas. You can give a lukewarm response like the disciples who wanted to just have a piece of Jesus, but not enough to change their lives. Or you can give a full response like Mary. Now the cool thing is the disciples actually learned how to do this better. Look at their response in Acts. Will you learn? Christ praises the costly gift of a follower who lavishly pours out her best because she's got everything. It's not the gift that's remembered, but the one who gives it with such gratitude that is the fragrant perfume to God. Easter. Is it time to recklessly give all we have to God? What might we lavishly give to God? What might it cost us? Let's pray. Lord, how cool today that we get a walk into communion. What a thrill it is 
to actually celebrate Palm Sunday with the ultimate gift. Lord, we do what, what, uh, what Paul's told us that we need to remember it often. We need to remember the body that's broken. We need to remember the sacrifice that you've made. And we get to do that together in community. We love and adore you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. One of the great gifts of the church that we get to do, and I'm so glad that Jesus told us to do this often, is that we actually get to proclaim together that Jesus is alive. He's not dead. He's not stuck in the tomb. And we do that through this ordinance of communion. Now, the interesting thing is you do not have to be a member at daybreak. This this communion celebration, this table celebration has nothing to do with your church membership. It has everything to do with your heavenly membership. If you haven't accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, today would be a spectacular day to accept Jesus. And if you have, then you get to celebrate with us. And the symbols that we celebrate with are 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 pretty simple symbols. We're reminded of a couple things. When we take the bread, we're actually reminded that his body was broken for us, that there was a humanness to it. I know a lot of times in my life, what I do is I, I like Jesus on the cross, but I keep remembering that he's just God. And so it didn't really hurt. It was like a prop that we have in theater. But when Jesus was on earth, that 100% man and 100% God meant at times... He fully functioned as a man. And as he was on the cross, he functioned as a man, just like you and I being on a cross. And the pain that would have been attached had yours and my name written all over it. And Jesus knew that was the ultimate thing that he was sent to do. Even the abandonment of his father, where he was like, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? He knew that, but he did it for us. And so I'd love for you to take the bread, the reminder of the body. We read throughout the Gospels that we're told that this is Christ's body, which is broken for us. For you. Let's do this in remembrance of him. There are certain stories that are continued in all the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And multiple times in the Gospels, we, we read of the importance of it. And, you know, the Last Supper was hugely important. And in there, in two of the Gospels, it said that, that Jesus said to the, the disciples, his friends, I have eagerly waited to do this. Like, even though the humanness of the cross, I have eagerly waited to do this because what is going to be the gift of the blood of the covenant is that you can actually talk to my father again. You don't have to go through a mediator, the priest. You don't have to bring sacrifice. You just need to bring you. And it's going to be this restored relationship like it was in Genesis where we read that Adam like walked with God. Uh, And so today as we take the, the cup, which signifies the forgiveness of sins, the blood that was shed. May we recommit 
our lives to the one who sacrificed it all. And Jesus said, you know, take and and drink this cup for the forgiveness of sins. So let's take this cup together.